Well, here it is, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, it's time to go inside EMF. I am happy that you are here. This is the holiday season. And if you could see my face, you would know that this is my excited face. Here's a man that needs no introduction, but I'm going to do it anyway. Our good friend, Kelly Grayson KG. What is going on in your neck of the woods in world famous Pitkin, Louisiana? I am furniture shopping. Uh, it is it is a it's a chore, um, but yeah, hopefully I'll I'll drive home tomorrow with a, a new uh, living room suite uh, that the dogs and cats won't immediately destroy. Immediately destroy. So you got to well, keep them out it, there. It took the cats. It took the cats about six months to destroy my last set of furniture. Um, lucky I didn't pay that much for it, but uh, they just. They much oh, prefer a, a, a leather sofa and uh, and chair uh, to scratch than they do the the scratching post that we paid money for. Because yeah, you know, sounds, cats. Yeah, that sounds exciting though. But you said hopefully you'll be home tomorrow. Where the heck do you furniture shop? Oh, I had to I had to drive out of town to get a decent deal, um, and uh, I'm picking it up uh, first thing in the morning. So. Oh, how about that, man? man? When you live in the wilds of Louisiana, yeah, you got furniture made out of out of old old you know bourbon barrels and and pallets and stuff. Crates. And so, yeah, uh, and I'm I'm too old to have that bachelor apartment where everything's made out of pallets and a spool that someone abandoned. And that's you know, right. hey, don't knock don't knock my coffee that. table. Don't knock that's my right. coffee table. It's comfortable for me. But uh, <laughs> you know, Kelly. So as as we think about this week's show. You know, we've had a lot of events that have been happening, you know, weather-wise in, in the, you know, around the United States. And, you know, certainly Florida has gotten beaten up uh, in Fort Myers area and just recently again. And, you know, it, it's really kind of weird what we have to do, uh, you know, to get ready for these events. And um, a friend of mine is uh, going to join us as a guest. His name is Jeff Hensley. He is the emergency manager for MedTrust in Charleston, South Carolina. And, you know, Jeff, come on in here and I appreciate you being in on the show this week. Thank you. I appreciate you inviting me. So, I mean, but one of the things is I'm continuing to set this up. You know, we know that from an EMS standpoint, you know, we have to be able to prepare for things that may or may not be happening, right? There are times as an emergency manager, we know that there's going to be weather. But there are other things that we have to do to ensure that our agency stays at the height of readiness, right? Now, I want to get into that with you. But I think my first question to you is, there's a lot of people in EMS that have interest in emergency management. There's a lot of people who are, you know, vying for positions in emergency management. Or maybe EMS agencies don't have the position, but there may be EMTs or paramedics that are interested in assisting and doing the work. So I think, you know, just from your side, how did you get into emergency management and what tips would you have for people who are out there that may want to do it to, you know, kind of align themselves with the goals of the organization? Absolutely. So um, honestly, emergency management uh, was not on my radar to begin with in the uh, county in Virginia that I was director of emergency services, after two years, county administrator came to me and said, hey, the sheriff doesn't want to oversee the emergency management part anymore. So it's yours. <laughs> so I got into it, wasn't really understanding what it was to be, and then started taking a lot of the 
independent classes through FEMA online, just started getting my feet wet. And I really started looking at, you know, this is very good. I enjoy learning, you know, new things. And uh, then they started sending me to classes. Uh, the Commonwealth of Virginia, they have their own emergency management academy that you go through and you get your from your basic to your advanced studies. So I was able to do that. And the biggest thing with emergency management is resource management. You're learning how to you know, be able to work together with other stakeholders within the community. Because uh, even though a lot of people, when you talk about emergency management disasters, they think of FEMA, they think of, you know, Homeland Security. But honestly, an emergency is a local emergency first, and you have to prepare that way. Um, you learn to develop relationships with your locality, all your stakeholders, and then to the region. Uh, and then, like I said, once the state and the federal agencies gets involved, you're already in the midst of a disaster. Hmm. Jeff, I'm interested in, in how when becoming a an emergency manager, a much wider umbrella than an, an EMS manager, um, how did that shift your perspective on on provision of emergency services, seeing seeing what the uh, the other branches of public safety and healthcare uh, wind up uh having to do in these situations? Did it, uh, did it um, gain your appreciation? Uh, did it increase your appreciation of them? Or do you go like, oh, those guys have it easy? No, absolutely. Uh, honestly, uh, again, coming up as a firefighter paramedic and then work my way up, you know, we have relationships with law enforcement and different entities. But once you become the emergency manager, you really have to build that relationship not only with your law enforcement, but your health departments, your school systems. Um, and again, it's, it's about understanding, you know, what resources you have available to you in your community. Uh, communities varies. Uh, the area I came from in Virginia was a smaller uh, county. We had to, uh, again, rely on you know, sharing resources with our neighboring uh, communities. But again, you learn to take care of the important things and things that affected your community. Because again, you know, we wasn't prone to hurricanes in our county in Virginia. However, yeah. we would get the remnants. So yeah. understanding what the key risks that your community may face and then building the relationship based on that. You know, Jeff, so when you think about what you're talking about, I mean, there's just so many questions that come from that. But but I think I, I want to stay along the line right now of, of thinking about a successful uh, emergency manager, you know, disaster preparedness and all that stuff. What do you think are the key characteristics that are needed to make this position, um, you know, successful? I mean, because you've got to think that there's a lot of things that have to happen, but when you think about how you, probably. yeah, exactly. So, but what do you think of those key characteristics that go into being a, a great uh, emergency manager? Well, first of all, you have to be a good communicator. You have to be able to uh, communicate with all the key stakeholders um, and you have to be able to build relationships. Um, again, it's about trust and it's not just, disaster management when you talk about emergency management um it can be from dealing with a opioid 
uh, crisis within the community. So it's a far reaching, you know, when you look at um, planning for emergencies in the community, it's not just your natural disasters. It could be, you know, anything that falls within the realms of creating some type of overwhelming issue in a community. Jeff, you said something that struck me that I hadn't really considered uh, as part of the role of an emergency manager, things like the opioid epidemic. You know, I, I live in coastal Louisiana. You live in, in coastal Carolina. We think about large weather events, hurricanes, and that sort of thing as being the classic example of, of where an emergency manager would, would uh, um, step in. But I, I hadn't thought of ongoing disasters and, and epidemics and as something that, that the communities really have to plan for, but it, it makes perfect sense. What what does an emergency manager uh, do or how do they help plan and, and manage these long-standing chronic problems within a community? <clears throat> so I'll kind of revert back to um, the position in Virginia and give you a little bit of a um, storyline for this. So, um, Back in 2015, 2016, mm -hmm. um, Virginia was really focused on, and the whole Commonwealth um, was focused on trying to uh, make a difference, make a dent, so to speak, uh, yeah. in the opioid um, crisis. Uh, the Attorney General at the time uh, was going around talking to all the uh, local communities, um, trying to work with them to develop, you know, a program that would help, you know, not only look at what are some of the causes of it, but also, you know, how can we try to um, help people that may come across the addiction? Because one of the things a lot of people uh, looks at, unfortunately, the wrong way is that with the opioid crisis, they think it's your drug users and stuff like that. But there are some innocent people that yeah. gets hooked on uh, the opioids because of injuries. And so they did a big study about this. And when I was, again, uh, the uh, director of emergency services in the county, we developed a uh, roundtable to look at this. And we approached it from... We invited the school systems in from the resource officers to talk about, you know, DARE. Uh, we got a grant to be able to uh, give our first responders, law enforcement, firefighters training to be able to administer Narcan if they got there before EMS did, because that was going to make a difference. You know, a lot of times uh, when you look at responses, uh, fire departments, law enforcement may be there, you know, five, 10 minutes before EMS mm -hmm. can get there. And so we was able to train them to be able to administer nasal Narcan. So that was one element. The other element was, you know, working with uh, the court system to try to say, hey, is there a way to um, try to put these people in a, a program that will break the chain because sometimes this is a generational issue. And yeah. so, so we try to uh, develop a system, work with the court system to see if they could be into a program. The other thing is uh, we worked with the hospital systems, with the local doctors to say, hey, we don't want to 
prescribe a, a narcotic, you know, for your first visit to the ER. Because you did have people that they would go what we call uh, ER hopping to mm-hmm. get their uh, drug of choice. So we wanted to close that gap. But one of the pieces, honestly, that was missing was how do we uh, get these people into a rehab that is going to really solve the issue? Because, again, you can revive these people. I mean, I can tell you stories of some of the uh, overdoses I ran and 30 days later, same house and passing. And so if you don't, you know, you can train the people, you can teach, you know, people that, hey, if you don't um, get help, you know, this could be a big issue. And that's why they actually started um, issuing a uh, Narcan to mm-hmm. at-risk people, if y'all yeah. recall Lean that. Narcan. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's, um, I mean, it's an issue that, you know, all emergency managers with the key stakeholders, law enforcement, hospital systems and stuff is facing school systems across yeah. the country. Yeah, traditionally we, we think of you know law enforcement interdiction and and uh, and EMS resuscitation, but but it seems that all the effective uh, opioid response programs out there have an integrated approach, multidisciplinary. Get the court system, get the healthcare system involved, and and now <laughs> that you outline those things, it seems like the perfect uh, uh, the perfect thing to be coordinated by emergency managers. Well, again, uh, emergency management, like I said, is about uh, resource management. And yeah. again, the, the most important thing, like I said, is it's not about the title of the emergency manager. It's about being part of a group that solves issues within the community. So Jeff, I want to go ahead and get to the nitty gritty of what emergency managers do. So knowing that you're in the Carolinas, you guys were preparing for the hurricane that came up there. You know, we think about, you know, active shooters we think about you know um civil disobedience so take us through you know the responsibility of an emergency manager you know you're preparing for the hurricane which you kind of just did a few weeks back what do you what are you thinking about what what are you taking your agency through how do you get them ready to understand the challenges that may happen and then managing it during the event i mean what, what tips do you have for us so the the biggest thing is when you're looking at a approaching storm is preparation. Um, we actually with our uh, company and stuff. And again, uh, if I may, kind of separate. Metros is a private entity that's responsible for uh, patient transports, and we have a lot of hospital systems not only in South Carolina, but also in uh, Jacksonville and in uh, Georgia. So it's a little bit different from a county perspective as an emergency manager. But at the same time, when you have a named storm that happens, then we look at it from a 72-hour window of the approach that is taken. I start to send out emails to our uh, staff that may live in the area so that again even though they work for us a lot of times they live in the areas that could be affected so we want to make sure that they have enough time to prepare their household their families 
the same thing that anyone else uh, would be doing and stuff to take care of in the event of a storm. But then we're also um, talking to our key stakeholders, you know, the hospital systems, the assisted living, the skilled nursing facilities. And if these areas is going to be affected and stuff, then we start talking about all the things that we have planned for in the event that this happens. Because most of the time in these areas, um, it's based on the governor saying you have to evacuate. Um, to give you an example, in 2018, we end up evacuating almost 2,300 people on the coast of South Carolina from assisting in the Hilton Head area all the way to Myrtle Beach. But um, the governor, and this is, again, state-related, the governor in South Carolina is one that once he makes that decision uh and telling the hospital systems or the assisted living or skill that you have to evacuate, a lot of times we have less than 36 hours to do it. So that's a lot that's going on to get resources in to be able to assist with moving these people. And um, when you talk about Grand Strand Hospital, which was a level one trauma center, it wasn't just about uh, ground transport. We also coordinated 40 fixed wing flights to get the critical uh, patients moved. So um, it is a lot of preparation, um, looking at, you know, preparing. And this is something that we've worked with the hospitals and with the um, assisted livings and skilled nursing facilities in advance. They know what we're looking for as far as number of patients, um, BLS versus ALS, um, patients as ambulatory versus, you know, maybe wheelchair. Because um, we have to, when you, I say about resources, that's what we're looking for. You know, how many ambulances do we need? How many wheelchair vans may we need for the wheelchair patients? And then if you got the critical patients, that's another level that, you know, if you got patients on ventilators and stuff like that. So it's a lot of planning. Uh, it's just not me. We we're working with the each of the facilities. Uh, they have an emergency manager. We work with them to make sure that we know what their census is. And that's the other thing. They normally, uh, within 30 hours of a landfall and a hurricane, um, we'll know what the census is of the facility so that we are able to, you know, have the resources uh, to uh, carry through the evacuation. So a lot of planning and then, uh, once it's put into uh, play, a lot of, you know, resource management going on from multiple agencies. Like I said, it's not just us. Once we go into a full swing that you're going uh, to evacuate and the state declares an emergency, then that allows us to get resources from other states. Um, in 18, we had resources from Virginia, Texas, um, I think uh, some other Midwestern areas that came in and helped us, it wasn't just locally. So again, um, you know, it's a lot of resource management. And then afterwards, it's looking at best practice, you know, what went right, what do we need to improve? So you yeah, kind of like, a, like an after action review. That's it. That's and it. you also yeah. get Monday morning quarterback. Uh, of course. Yeah. 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 
you, you stole most of my thunder for the uh, for my next question. Uh, you you answered all those things already, Jeff. It's uh, it, it seems to me that especially like in hurricane response, where you have a seventy two hour window and then and then that thirty six hour window, and you have to pull the trigger on whether to mobilize all those responses. It's sometimes a thankless task. It's kind of like being the kicker uh, set up to to win the game with the uh, with that winning kick. You're either the hero or the goat. Uh, and you mobilize all those resources to call for that mandatory evacuation. Uh, and then the storm shifts track because, you know, Mother Nature doesn't uh, doesn't always uh, work predictably. Uh, you look like a fool. My So my follow-up, my alternate question is infrastructure-wise. Now, you know, you're when, when you were in Virginia, you had to deal with the aftermath of a hurricane. You had to deal with flooding and torrential rains and everything. But but I would imagine that that the destruction, widespread destruction of infrastructure wasn't as big a deal as it is uh, where hurricanes make landfall. And your ambulance stations, your police stations, your governmental buildings are destroyed. Your communications networks are down. How challenging an aspect is it to replace that that uh, damaged infrastructure. What what kind of wrinkles does that throw into your plan? So again, um, again, when you're looking at um, working with all the key stakeholders, one of the things that um, your communities has is called a local emergency planning committee, uh, and that's where you have a representative from your power companies, uh, from your Department of Transportation all the way up into military affairs and everyone's there. And even in a community response, you're looking at the critical things that you need to restore right away. You're talking about, especially a hospital system. You want to make sure that you have electricity, you have fuel and you have access. So you have to prioritize again, what's the key things to get, right away that you have to make sure that um, is back online. Um, sometimes it takes a while. Um, you may lose um, water that could take weeks to resource. So you have to have a resource to bring in water for your citizens. So it's a lot of uh, planning at looking at what you have to prioritize. Um, the electric companies, the Department of Transportation, you know, they have their own set of priorities, but they know it all uh, intertwines with, you know, trying to work together to get the community back up and running. And just like uh, in the Fort Myers and Florida area, some of the structures, it may take months or even longer to actually reconstruct, um, you know, and also you're talking about your um telephone networks, your wireless tires and stuff like this. So, um, you know, and you mentioned as well, you know, if you have um, emergency services stations that has been damaged, you know, you're having to do temporary shelters for them because once the yeah. uh, storm is gone, citizen expects when they call 911 that you're going to come, but you may not be able to come. You may not have a passageway. There may be debris that is uh, blocking the area. So even though the storm may be passing, the sun's out, you may not be able to gain access to these people. So it's a lot of key things that you're looking at. Um, you know, you got your search and rescue going on to be able to um, take care of any survivors that may have 
you know, lost everything. So it's, it's a lot of things that's being prioritized and a lot of networking and working together. And again, um, I'm sure that Florida, you know, will, will be dealing with this for many months to come yeah. with trying to restore everything. Well, yeah, Jeff, you, you changed my mind. It's it's tougher than juggling chainsaws. I would I would think I'd rather juggle the chainsaws than than have your job. But thank you for the fascinating peek behind the curtain uh, of emergency management. Uh, something that we in operations don't often get to see uh, how those decisions are made at a higher level. Sometimes we feel like we're at the mercy of uh, of events beyond our control. But it's nice to see how those uh, get a uh, an, some insight into how those decisions are made. Um, thank you for coming on the show. And Chris and I would like to, uh, to invite our listeners to uh, pose any other questions that we may follow up with Jeff uh, about emergency management in your area. How, what are the challenges you've, you've encountered? What are the solutions you've come up with? Uh, email us your thoughts at the show at ems1.com. And for myself, co-host Chris Cevallero, and our special guest this week, Jeff Hensley from Charleston, South Carolina. Thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We're going to catch you guys next week.